Hello and welcome to this week's Golf Shake podcast. My name is Kieran Clark and we have a special edition episode here looking forward to the US Open at Shinnecock Hills. Joining me in a lengthy and wide-ranging interview was Anthony Scorcia, host of the On Par Golf Show on Long Island, New York, who provides a unique perspective into the year's second men's major championship, including his own experiences of playing the course itself. Very lucky man. We also reflect back on previous US Opens at Beth Page Black, just along the road, and look forward to the upcoming PGA Championship and indeed Ryder Cup, which are both being played on that legendary public course during the next few years. Anthony provides a lot of insight into golf in New York and particularly on Long Island, looking at the culture, the golf courses and what it's all about, a real vibrant community there. And I hope you find it just as interesting and as entertaining as I did. I am joined by Anthony Scorcia, host of the On Par with Anthony Scorcia golf show on the WGBB network, which is the longest running radio station on Long Island in New York. And of course, we know that the US Open Championship is coming to Shinnecock Hills on Long Island this week. And we're bringing Anthony, who's a good friend of mine, to try and give us a little bit of insight and uh, candor behind the golf culture on Long Island, obviously a really densely populated part of New York and it has a great golf culture, a lot of very famous private golf courses there, Shinnecock being among them. You also have National Golf Links of America, which is a very famous golf course. And of course, you, in addition to that, you have public golf courses like Beth Page as well, where of course we've seen the US Open there in the past. And we'll see the PGA Championship go there next year and indeed the Ryder Cup. And so Anthony is a good friend of mine. He's a, he knows everything there is to know about golf on Long Island. And today we welcome him to the Golf Shake podcast. Anthony, how does it feel to be on the other end, the other side of this situation, being the guest for a change? Well, I'm not going to lie. Well, first of all, thank you for having me uh, on, the, on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And thank you. <laughs> thank you for the kind words. But in terms of being on the other side, I, I don't like being on the defensive. I don't, uh, <laughs> New Yorkers don't like to be uh, put in the corner, but it's, uh, no, but it's a pleasure to be on. And it is a bit different to be on the other side of this conversation. Well, in the past, uh, listeners, I've been on the other end, but Anthony being the, the host, I'm being, I've been the guest. So this is my kind of revenge. I now have control. I can I can dictate the conversation and where it goes. It's very, very tempting to go in all kinds of directions. I'll try and restrain myself and be very safe and stick with the golf. So, Anthony, obviously, the US Open coming up this week at Shinnecock Hills, obviously, you know, a, a legendary venue. But for you being in Long Island, you know, what is it like? What is kind of the, the build up and the atmosphere as you get closer towards the national championship coming to your, your backyard, essentially? So what is the kind of the experience for you as a local in Long Island when the U.S. Open comes to town? Well, I, I think there's, you know, it's wonderful on, on a number of different levels. First of all, there's a there's a buzz um, about it when, especially within the golfing community. I mean, as you said, that it's the island is uh, the island. The golfers on Long Island. It's a densely populated area, and the the you know we were talking a little you know previously about it being golf being a niche sport, and it's ultraly, uh, if that's a word, but it's ultra compressed, if you will, um, in on Long Island. So uh, so that community tends to obviously take their golf very seriously. And so there's a buzz amongst them just in general, just having the 
the golf course on Long Island. It's a different kind of buzz than when it was at Bethpage. Mm-hmm. It's not the, you know, Shinnecock is the private, the, is a private c- uh, club, whereas opposed yeah. to when it was at Bethpage, there was an immense sense of pride because it is what they call the People's Country Club mm-hmm. because Bethpage Black pretty much plays the way it does is well conditioned throughout the year for us as well as it is for the pros. So, um, and hence the name, the people's country club, uh, obviously it doesn't, it's not set up the same way. Uh, but you, you understand my meaning and the, the course conditioning is just tremendous. So there's, there's not that part of it, but the idea of a professional event in general, but then a, on top of that, a, a U.S. open, and then, of course, at a storied club such as Shinnecock, on top of having uh, the good and bad history that they've had at Shinnecock, has only adds to the layer of what I feel is the, the sort of excitement that's building for the uh, for the championship next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting distinction between obviously Shinnecock and then Beth Page. And I would love to talk about the 2002 US Open shortly and, and kind of what that meant to the, the people of Long Island. But looking at Shinnecock itself, first of all, obviously it's a very premier golf club. It has a great history to it. And I have to quickly say, you had the opportunity to go and play that course fairly recently. And, there ha- and looking at the venue itself, there have been changes made to that golf course in recent years. It's, a, it's significantly different to what it was like back in 2004. The club underwent a restoration project, I think, five or six years ago. Obviously, the USJ have come in. They've tried to find the middle ground in terms of the, the fairway width and the rough and so on. So when you went to Shinnecock, you had a chance to go and play that very exclusive golf course course uh what were your kind of expectations of what you're going to experience when you went there and how did the actual golf course itself meet those expectations or perhaps even surpass them yeah it's an interesting question because it wasn't like a golf course um that i i haven't seen before mm-hmm. um if i'd gone to uh let's say a maidstone which is a, a wonderful golf course uh, on Long Island, on uh, uh, in the on the East End as well. Uh, I've never played there, so it's a little different. Like there's no expectation in the sense that I know that it's a great golf course, it's a, a renowned golf course, but not having seen it. But you know, when you see these open champ, when you love golf as we do, and we've seen these championships, you feel like you kind of know the course. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so my expectations were for it to be what I thought it was going to be, what I had already seen, what I've already um uh visualized uh even though like you always hear at the masters that you know the 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 tv doesn't do the undulation (laughs) and all that kind of stuff um but the it surpasses the expectations that you just never it never ceases to amaze me the level of um of uh of conditioning that the Mm -hmm. they can get these golf courses in uh, I've played, I've been fortunate enough to play, you know, a number of private courses and, but to play a place like Shinnecock where I'm sure it's always in immaculate condition, but then before a U.S. open where it's up a, just another notch, I mean, you, you're basically looking at, it doesn't even look like when you're standing on the veranda at where at that famous, uh, you know, clubhouse, um, Stanford white clubhouse, you know, you, it's, it's almost feels like someone laid, uh, green carpet uh, on 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 mother earth and it just doesn't look it that's how perfect it looks in the in the the distance um and that's and that sort of makes it 
all the more sort of a magical experience, not to get too dramatic. But um, <laughs> if you love golf, yeah. um, it does become a sort of surreal experience. Mm. Um, I don't have access to a place like that uh, and, and on a regular basis or at all. And this is probably will be probably the only time I play it. But it was just um, it exceeded my expectation just because um not it just didn't seem like a blade of grass was out of place and so it was just it it was wonderful it really was and and the course was exactly how i kind of imagine it playing mm-hmm. uh and being uh as you mentioned earlier uh they did go through a restoration with core and crenshaw um the, and where they were widening the fairways and i know you have some astute listeners who probably are aware of when they narrowed the fairways they didn't just grow the grass in those areas they actually uh brought in cultivated uh fescue and, and planted fescue um and then took the where they took the grass out they actually have it in um i'm not sure why but it's in it's growing and being cared for in new jersey hmm. uh nearby new jersey for why I, i'm not sure new jersey but um that's where they brought the grass and then they'll re dig up the fescue where they had wine, where they had widened the, um, where they narrowed the course, excuse me, and then, uh, replant the sod, uh, to bring back the, the width that they were, that core and Crenshaw were trying to, um, uh, bring back the, the original Flynn design where it was all about width and angles. Uh, and so, um, but they just, you know, they just were afraid of, and this was all sparked by, and I'm, I'm not, if you're not aware, but, by Raymond Floyd, obviously the 1986 champion, who called up David, uh, that that called up um, the USGA and was like, "We got to have, a, um, we have to have a conversation." So, um, and and so they went to, and and they were afraid that they were going to get hung out to dry, like they did at Aaron Hills, mm-hmm. where um, where the the pros were just about just going to have their way with the course, and so um, and that's why they decided on narrowing it. And so they're trying to find that sort of middle ground, if you will, uh, between, you know, the the past and, and the present, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, I, I think as far, I read that the fairways are averaging uh, 41 yards on average in, in width. Uh, at the pit. Some of them are narrow than that. Some of them are wider than that. What they have said is that it's going to be the widest uh, U.S. Open ever at Shinnecock compared to 2004 and 86 or in the 95 as well. Uh, so it's going to be wider than it was then. But obviously, it's going to still remain. You know, the challenge is trying to find that balance of re- kind of respecting the the architecture of the golf course, the kind of the classic nature of it, while also trying to present what would be a the, the kind of the ultimate test in golf, as the USG likes to kind of phrase it. Um, so obviously, you mentioned there, uh, Aaron Hills, and that was last year's venue where Brooks Kepka won with a score of sixteen under par, which is obviously significantly lower than what we'd kind of commonly associate with a US Open but the USGA have kind of experimented in recent years with different venues obviously Aaron Hills was a new venue we had Chambers Bay in 2015 which was um, controversial to say the least the way that golf course played over on the west coast and of course we also had the the restored Pinehurst number two also a current Crenshaw restoration there and, and Carolina so that was a, a classic venue there one they, they changed and brought back to its kind of original setup so the USGA have kind of taken some knocks in recent years, Anthony, from the from the players, from the media, and even from some, some golf fans too, who are wondering, you know, what is the US Open nowadays? You know, has it lost its kind of identity? Is is it the championship that was before in terms of its kind of its 
constant obsession with par as a score, will it still present kind of the, the ultimate test in golf as they would like to put it? So do you think that Shinnecock this year, from what you saw when you're on the ground there and from what you've heard and read, do you think Shinnecock Hills will bring, will deliver kind of a, a US Open that we have come to associate with all the year all, over the years? Will it bring the US Open back on track? Yeah, it, it's an interesting question and and a good question. And it's and my answer to that is I think this is a homage to the sort of traditional um, as opposed to the Aaron Hills mm. uh, traditional test of golf. Um, even though they've widened the ferry, the fairways a bit, I think the interesting thing that's going to happen this week is, or next week is the weather is supposed to be fairly cool, uh, in the high sixties and low seventies. They are calling for rain, um, some, some, uh, morning showers in on Wednesday on, um, I think Friday and on Sunday. So now it didn't seem like, uh, the amount of rain doesn't seem very substantial. I don't, it's not going to be, let's, if you want to, if you will, won't be Beth page, um, sure, but, uh, it is going to get a little rain. My, my, my concern about, you know, the one thing the, the, the USJ can't legislate is weather. Yeah. And that's, and that is the wind. I think what will, will be interesting to me is right now they're not calling for, some high winds. Now, this is the east end of Long Island, so that could kick up fairly dramatically, fairly quickly. But as of right now, and when I played it, the wind was only about 10 miles an hour. Now, that routing is fantastic. I mean, in terms of a test, is fantastic, mm-hmm. um, especially with the wind in mind, because the wind never really, it, it's never really in your face and it's never sort of at your back. It's, it's sort of always angling, which makes it, um, fairly uh challenging and will obviously make for longer rounds obviously it being the u.s open so i i think that to answer your question uh this is more of an homage to the traditional test of golf than it is the aaron hills but i think with the widening of the fairways um it's still trying to show that you can have width and angles in the modern game uh with a modern um with modern equipment mm-hmm. uh, and have it on a traditional golf course like Shinnecock Hill. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it's from what I've seen of the golf course and what I read about it, I think there's a real kind of excitement from people that are going back here and we're going to see this golf course you know, presented in this environment. And I think the players themselves who have been there and have played the golf course in the past couple of weeks have all been very complimentary about the setup of the golf course and so on. Of course, that can change when we get the championship week as it has in the past. But I think, you know, obviously people will remember what happened 14 years ago when the US Open was last at Shinnecock, where they kind of lost control. Uh, and that was a bit controversial. It was certainly left a bit of a stain on that particular event that year. Um, I think this year they're going to deliver a championship that kind of finds the balance between, like you say, the difficulty, but also presenting the golf course the way it should be and delivering what should be a great celebration of classic architecture and indeed you know, championship golf. So I think this year's US Open sounds, it could be you know, fantastic and I'm looking forward to watching it and I think it's going to be, has the potential to be you know one of the one of the great ones of recent years because you know, like the U.S. Open has kind of kind of shifted between itself in recent years. Some of the new venues they have went to perhaps weren't 
universally popular. Of course, we're now kind of in a run where we're going back to more traditional venues. This has been kind of the first one. We also have Pebble Beach coming up soon and Winged Foot and so on. You know, more conventional US Open course. And Dee Shinnecock is kind of, it stands alone in terms of the way the golf course plays compared to those ones. So, Anthony, you, you mentioned yeah. obviously... Um, at the start of sorry let me let me just jump in there no i just wanted to add to that point and and you know given what i was saying originally you know um in the beginning was in my opening comments was and that's that's sort of the pressure on you on the usga Mm -hmm. to get it right because um they they've like you said earlier that you know between um chambers bay and shinnecock and 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 even Aaron hills to some degree uh, i think um there's a lot of pressure to get this one right, and particularly Shinnecock, given uh, what happened the last time there, so it, it, it's definitely uh, an interesting balance. That, uh, to use your words, that they uh, that they're going to struggle with. Yeah, I think so. I, I saw a comment earlier today from uh, Rory McIlroy who said that the USGA perhaps overthink everything. And perhaps he's right about that. Is we're talking about them trying to find the yeah. balance and so on, where it's like, well, just lay out a golf course and, and let it let it play as it should. You know, it's um, yeah. they do seem to kind of get in their own way uh, in their pursuit of um, trying to find this this ultimate test, but also a fair test as well. And it's uh, well, it goes against it goes against I think the spirit of the game. Yeah. The spirit of the is is to just play the ball where it lies and play the game and play the course that is ahead of mm-hmm. you and it's you cannot um you can't prepackage an idea of what you think something should be to a game to a natural game uh like golf that's just my opinion i i just think um you know i just don't think i i feel like it's almost in violation of the spirit of the game. Yeah, yeah, so. I think that's a really good point, and, and kind of to extend on that, I think you're right there in that trying to almost dictate a winning score beforehand is ludicrous, and it, and in yeah. trying to pursue that endeavor, they have gotten their own way at times, and it's not just the USGA. You know, even Augusta National did this several years ago when they lengthened the golf course. They made the golf course too difficult. And we even see it in more recent years where they'll give the players one day where they can score, then they'll suck all the moisture out of the greens using the sub-air systems, and the scoring will become more difficult. And people are wisening up to this now, and it does seem kind of artificial and a bit silly. Uh, Whereas I'm obviously, you know, hands on on heart, I'm biased, of course, but the Open Championship on this side of the pond, I always think the RNA generally get it right, where they present the golf course, and it's down to the weather to dictate what the scoring is. If it's a soft, calm mm-hmm. conditions, the guys will go out these days and they will shoot low numbers, as we saw last year at Royal Birkdale, where we shot Brandon Grace shot 62. You know, This year at Carnoustie in the Open Championship, we'll see a golf course that's, yeah, it's architecturally very difficult, but it'll be set up fairly. And again, it'll be the wind and the rain that dictates how the golf course will play. And I think that's they seem less obsessed with what the winning score is, whereas perhaps USGA seemed to be that way in the past. And that's kind of stuck in people's heads where people watch a US Open. And like I say, they watched Brooks Kepka last year when it's 16 under par. And they'll think, well, that's not a US Open, is it? Where he played great golf. And if he plays great golf, he should be able to shoot a low score, surely. That's my kind of perspective of it. And a golf course, to me, that doesn't, yield or give away a low score to great golf it seems flawed 
Um, but I think this year th- th- there will be an opportunity in the right conditions for low scores to be shot by certain. Obviously, over four days it'll be very difficult. But I think there, Shinnecock will present an opportunity for someone to go out and shoot a decent number. What do you think? Yeah, I, I do. And and again, weather will will dictate that. I mean, I think. Listen, they're not gonna. They, there's no way it would be impossible to repeat what happened. Um, last you know the last time at, at Shinnecock what happened because just based on the technology I mean obviously we have moisture reading meeting uh, meters yeah. uh, reading meters if I said that correctly and so um, there's a bunch you know the technology is so good that, that you know that's not going to happen there's also and Mike Davis has been quoted as saying there were there were some inner um, confrontation if you will or a friction between the club members at the time um, and the people in charge at the time and between and the people in charge at the USGA. So there was some internal, um, you know, conflict going on there. So that led to it and a mis and the miscommunication. So um, it doesn't seem like that's the case. You know, personally, I think they should just the course, the way I saw it was wide enough. The fescue is high enough. The graduated rough is fine. They should just leave it the way they've they've actually they mm-hmm. have it now. I don't think. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously they can, um, try to, you want to try and get it a little fiery. I think that would be nice. You know, you don't want to overwater it obviously. Um, but I think if you just do your natural progression of tournament golf, that should be enough. If they, I don't think they need to, as in years past, find the mm-hmm. edge. I think they'll be fine to just leave it as it is now. Now, to be fair to the USGA and, and your comparison with the old course and the RNA, now the conditions are yeah. different there, and we don't yeah, have, yeah. you know, we don't, you know, if we if we played at Bandon Dunes or, at, at, you know, on in some of those uh, West Coast places, uh, you know, where we where they have those conditions, but we don't have those conditions on Long, even on Long Island, you have to pay for those kind of conditions. So, um, which is what all those great golf courses yeah. are able to do. Um, but I I just think that. Um, if they just left it to what I saw, uh, it, it should be the, the, the fescue is really deceivingly difficult. Um, it, it looks like when you, when the ball's in there, uh, obviously the, the professionals are a little more adept at reading it than I am, but, uh, it almost looks like you can get a club on it until you can't get a club on it <laughs> until you actually make an attempt to get a club on it. And so, cause you can see your ball, but it's not like the wispy stuff that you might see yeah. on your side where you can sort of get your club through it um, in some cases. So uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's not, it's deceivingly thick is I guess the best way to put it. And so, uh, but I think that everything that I saw just looked fantastic. I just think they just need to just let it be and just do your natural and don't push the, um, just don't try to get too close to the edge and, or too close to the sun. And I think it'll be a fantastic championship. I think, if the wind doesn't blow and it stays firm and, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see why 10 under can't win mm-hmm. the tournament, but if the wind blows and they start to push things a little bit, or if it gets, uh, you know, wet and they still keep the tees back, um, and make it a long slog, then, um, you know, then, then you're going to get your traditional, uh, us open. So, um, it's just really interesting to see how they, uh, this is probably as good a chance as they can. They'll have, I think, in recent years to do whatever it is that they want to do. It doesn't look like we're getting a lot of rain. It doesn't look like the wind is going to be as much, but you know, um, that could change, uh, daily and hourly or whatnot. So, um, 
but I think they'll have as much control as they would have hoped for going into the championship. Yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be really interesting. And it's always funny when we get to US Open that we're talking so much about the people who actually run the tournament, which is so, <laughs> so right, unusual. Right. Exactly. Uh, but it, but exactly. again, so often through the years, the USGA, you know, deliberately or not, have somehow found a way to become the story all the time. So hopefully this year, the golf course and the players themselves, they are the story and they create what's going to be a fantastic US Open Championship. But you mentioned, obviously, at the start of this uh, segment, Anthony, about the 2002 US Open, how that was different coming to a public golf course in Bethpage Black and uh, that atmosphere. And I remember you know, such a big deal, the US Open coming to a public venue like that and the atmosphere that was there and uh, the whole kind of build up towards it. So, you know, reflecting in their memory bank, going back 2002 at that US Open, you know, what was that like, you know, when the US Open coming to your area, but more than that, coming to a, a public golf course like Beth Page, what was that whole atmosphere like throughout the area during that build up and that week itself? Well, it was just, uh, it, as you can imagine, it was incredible. And to have it at a place where we all go and grew up playing, um, you know, this, it, it really speaks to the heart of the, uh, the object, the, um, the objection to, uh, bifurcation, right? Uh, the whole idea is that like, you know, nobody, you know, few people on the Island that play public golf, uh, if, you know, very few small percentage of them are going to be able to say when I played Chinnacock. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I consider myself obviously very privileged to have played it. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the allure, right? I mean, I'm never, you're, you're never going to play uh, football on the fame, you know, of, on the pitch of your favorite football team, right? Yeah. So, and golf has that allure where you can be where the pros were and you can mm-hmm. use um, the, you know, whether I know it's not exactly the same equipment, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, for all intents and purposes, you can reimagine yourself in the very place that Phil Mickelson was, that Rory was, you know, all these guys were, and nothing, uh, nothing resembled that more than Beth Page. I mean, everybody from uh, the Blue Blazers to the Delhi Worker have been on that golf course mm-hmm. and have played in, have have been around that that golf course and have have been in those situations, have played those holes, and can say so. There's a a, a much more intimate relationship with the people of Long Island and that golf course. Whereas um, just for example, uh, let's say even the, um, the Northern trust, um, you know, which was played at Glen Oaks, right? Uh, Even that now there's a big difference that when it's played at Glen Oaks, which was a sort of one off because they didn't want to have with Beth page and whatnot. And that the, the, the rota of the, of the, of that tournament um, usually in- included Beth Page. So it, this was a one-off golf tournament. Now, even that tournament was a little different than it was when it's at Beth Page. When it's at Beth Page, the numbers are more, you know, the, the numbers are up. Uh, it, it's a much bigger crowd. It's a little more noisy, obviously. It's a little more uh, of a, um, uh, a regular golfer crowd. How about that? It's probably a better way to put it. And and so guys like me and you who go and enjoy the golf course. So when you think about in those terms, in terms of the intimacy that the everyday person has with that golf course, there's a tremendous sense of, of pride. Um, and it also, you know, and that brings out the New Yorker 
in most Long Islanders. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? And, and so and so that's why. And you get that for the good and the bad. You have the good, which is the Phil Nicholson love fest. And then you have the bad, which is the which is the Sergio, you know, mm-hmm. all that for that, mm-hmm. you know, where regripping and regripping and and a guy screaming at him and, and, and Sergio giving him the finger. And so that's the kind of, you know, but that's. That's what you get. You get the yeah. you get the you get the full on experience when it's somewhere and it's somewhere at Beth Page because people love that course. They yeah. love that yeah. facility. Um, there, it's like you know, I can't. It, it, it's the same. Imagine the I would have, what I would imagine that the people of Shinnecock, the members of Shinnecock, if 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 you were a member of Shinnecock and and you were able to bring, if I was a member of Shinnecock and I was to say, Kieran. You know, when you come here, I'm going to bring you to Shinnecock, right? And the, imagine the feeling you would have, but imagine the feeling I would have being able to give that you that, yeah. uh, that right, that gift of, of experiencing this. And, and what those members feel, now imagine that, you know, that's a membership of 300, but how about a membership of, you know, 500,000, yeah, right? That's, that's, how, that's how they feel about it. So you just take that feeling that those private people feel and you you extrapolate that out, uh, and and that sort of gives you the sentiment that uh, that golfers have for that golf course. No, absolutely, and I think there's a, a real connection there with um, other people, and um, the local public are, are so invested in that golf course that the the enthusiasm and the passion was there, and it, it did create what was a very unique championship building up to it, and obviously the way it played itself. Of course, the US Open went back there in 2009 but uh and, and indeed the pga championship will be coming to beth page very soon so anthony will have a uh, golf to watch this week coming up also indeed in may next year as indeed the pga is moving from august to may becoming the second major on the calendar which seems a bit odd to say right now but that's going to be the future yep. so anthony obviously in terms of the you know, weather, you know, heavy rain kind of dictated the last us open at beth page in 2009 what do you expect the PGA to deliver in May? Well, I, I think they'll again that uh, the weather will be a big, big, uh, you know, um, factor in that, and that the grass will be fine. Like I don't think, um, you know, the go- the golf course will be playable. It's going to be cooler for sure, um, and, and that's that's without a doubt. Uh, the golf course is not going to is going to look a little different than what you remember. Um, that f- sort of fine fescue, um, some of those areas may not, ne- and and the, and the foliage may not be exactly, uh, obviously, well, can't be the same colors just because of the the timing of it, the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it, it'll visually look a little different. It won't play different in in, the, in that regard. It'll still the grass will be healthy. Everything will be fine, um, and so. I think you'll get a, a traditional PGA setup. Uh, they they are changing the golf course um, a few things a few things here and there. Uh, they're pinching the biggest thing, the most noticeable thing to I think the average person will be uh, the pinching of the fairway at um, uh, on eighteen. I don't you know the the uh, people the 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 uh, officials didn't necessarily like that Lucas Glover was able to hit six iron <laughs> nine iron <laughs> into eighteen. Yeah. But I think they're gonna they're gonna do some things that will uh, force guys to either really lay back or try to hit driver and get close. So I think they're gonna make it a little more um, a little more risk reward in that sense, mm. and will 
and and I think they're going to finally put an end to the. Uh, for those of your listeners uh, who maybe not from familiar with the Bethpage facility, um, the red course, which is the which I think is you know the second best course on the property and is a fantastic. Uh, it's a little bit of the redheaded uh, stepchild of uh, because it's of Bethpage because it's right next to the black because it's the black. Cause it, but if the black wasn't there, it would be the best course on the property. It's yeah. it's phenomenal. But their their eighteen actually is sort of right ne- um, is very near the uh, the eighteenth at Bethpage Black, and there's always been this discussion that they would they would want to traverse golfers over to the 18th of the red course, um, which would have been, I think, sacrilege to us. Um, mm. But um, uh, they, they, I think that that's finally being put to bed uh, with the modifications that they're making to 18. So that's not going to happen. Uh, and that's never going to be considered in the future. So uh, it, it's still going to be a fantastic um, test of golf. I just think it has to, it's going to be, I think the challenge is going to be certainly uh, more for the uh, for the people setting up the infrastructure than it is uh, than it is going to be for the golfers. The golfers are going to be are going to be golfers. It's going to be cold. It might be a little rainy. They're going to be you know they're going to be complaining because that's what golfers do. So, um, but uh, unless it's you know perfect conditions, so uh, that's just going to be the way it is. It's going to be a cooler. Uh, maybe a little more wet uh, contest, but it's going to be a crapshoot. It could be easily beautiful and dry. Um, but I think the really the the hardest thing for the for the tournament, I think, is has less to do with the conditions and more of the setup of the of the pavilions and the tents and the uh, and the setup of the whole infrastructure. Mm. Because if we get the winter that we get, um, you know, most of that stuff's going to have to be set up in the fall prior or this, this coming fall. Yeah. Uh, because if we get the winter that we had this year, there's no way that stuff's going to be able to get done. So, um, I feel like there's more of a challenge to the people, to the operation side of it, as opposed to the green side of it. And of course, projecting way into the future, uh, indeed six years into the future, the Ryder Cup will be coming to Beth Page, which seems, from what Anthony said earlier about the, the New York atmosphere, uh, sounds like the most incredible concoction of uh, possibilities there, the Ryder Cup in, in amongst the New York atmosphere, but it sounds in its own way quite interesting. So uh, obviously it's a way down the line. So how do you expect, what, what, what do you think the, US, the, the Ryder Cup coming to Beth Page is going to be like, particularly, of course, as Phil Mickelson will be the captain that year, definitely. So what do you think? <laughs> I think you're going to see uh, the absolute best and the absolute worst of, of New York. Yeah. I, I, there's, I, there's just no other way to put it because you're taking a, um, a hyper adrenaline event like the Ryder Cup uh, which has, you know, whatever you want to argue, whether it was the turn at the war on the shore uh, or whatever the case may be, whenever whenever the patrons started to take over this this sort of um, animosity, uh, we all know that the players, could, you know, could, not that they could care less, but we all know that they all go drinking afterwards. Yeah. Um, and, 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 uh, and it's all fun. It's all fun and games. And, and of course there's pride and there's, and there's, and there's, uh, bragging rights and all that. But, uh, you know, this will be, um, I, I really think you're going to get some really the, the, the good and the bad in, in, in a scale of one to 10, I think you'll get a 12 on both sides because <laughs> it's just, I, I do think you're going to, it's just, it's, it's like I said, it's a very compressed golfing area. And 
and New York can give you all of it like it does to Phil Mickelson and it can give it to you all of it the other way like they gave it to Sergio and Monty mm-hmm. and everybody else. So um, I, I can't say I'm proud of that fact, but I, even though I am a proud New Yorker, uh, I do prefer people to be rational and sensible. And <laughs> I, uh, But uh, I don't think you can expect um, that <laughs> at the Ryder Cup. No. Um, I just... Because for good or bad, the Ryder Cup has become um, something of a phenomenon, mm-hmm. as you well know. Yeah. And you, you bring it to a place like New York City, and you just can't, you cannot expect the uh, the cover of that, you know, teapot to, to boil over. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just too much going on. There's just too much intensity uh, in, in this area. For that to for that to uh, for that to remain calm and collected, how about that? Uh, yeah, I think it's a very fair way of putting it, and uh, a very accurate one as well. So yeah, projecting <laughs> into the future is going to be a really really interesting Ryder Cup. Of course, we have the U.S. Open coming up first, the PGA next year at Beth Page, and um, so a lot to look forward to in golf on Long Island. But you mentioned there, Anthony, it would be kind of remiss of me not to go down this route about your own radio show, but specifically around. The golf culture within Long Island itself, you mentioned there, it's a very compressed area. There's a lot of golf courses, a lot of golfers are in that one, that very densely populated part of New York. So talk us through kind of, obviously, every part of here in the UK we have, obviously, each area has its own kind of identity. But I think at the same time, there is something very unique about New York and it's something wonderfully kind of uh, appealing about it is it's a very distinct culture within a bigger sphere obviously and um, it, it has its own kind of identity it's almost like a, a nation within a nation and um, and I think in the golf it's probably like that as well so talk us through the golf culture within uh, Long Island itself and obviously your radio show which is again speaking to that culture. Well, uh, well, thank you for bringing that up. I, I think um, it's something that I started eight years ago. I, I listened, obviously, to a lot of... Now, this is back when podcasting wasn't necessarily um, as as uh, prevalent as it is now. Um, and I listened to a lot of uh, Sirius XM, and, and they have a lot of good shows, obviously. And, and I just wondered why there was nothing about that sort of tried to capture a more localized area like, like Long Island. And so... Um, I was able to go to a, a radio station that uh, would have me, um, you know, obviously uh, the metropolitan area, you know, is um, a highly competitive uh, area in terms of media. And so um, there was no way I was going to be on ESPN or, 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 any, or, or anything like that. And so I was able to find a local radio station that would have me. And, and in some ways, that's sort of nice because um, I'm able to keep it more localized and I'm able to have more of um, a more local flavor to it as opposed to if I were on a bigger station and maybe having some bigger sponsors and maybe having to be uh, address a more national audience. In some ways, it would have betrayed what I was trying to do in the first place. So um, I kind of I, I like this little niche that I've, I, I have. And, and, and in addition to doing that, to doing podcasts like with to, to sort of address more national issues, I, I, I like doing the podcasting like when I do it with you. Um, mm. And so we're able to address more national um, themes that are going on in the golf world and, and more national based 
uh, tournaments like the PJ Tour and the Open Championship and and uh, the European Tour and things of that nature. So, um, you know, to to do the show to play golf on on Long Island, it, it's it's you know it's the golf show to me is like playing golf on Long Island. It's like I don't get a chance to play as much as I don't think anybody gets a chance to play as much as I do. So this is almost like my radio show is almost like my is almost like my round of golf. Uh, you know, in addition to maybe hopefully being able to play a round of golf, this is like my other round of golf. I mean, the whole the whole idea of golf is really the people that you do it with. I mean, the sport itself, but the people you do it with. And so I treat my golf, my radio show as I feel as if it's like another round of golf. I get to have a co-host whether or or if I'm doing a podcast, I have a couple of co-hosts that I do in the radio show, a guy named Steve. I have Woody Lashin, who is a a co-owner of a fitting company on Long Island here. Um, When I do the podcast, I have you. And, And so when we have... And then when we have our guests, that's our threesome, you know, so that's our threesome for the, for the, for the day. And so, um, yeah, we're not playing golf, but we're talking golf. And I think if you love golf, it doesn't matter if you're playing it or talking it. Sure. We'd rather, we'd rather be playing it, but what do golfers love to do? You know, if they can't be playing it, they'll be talking about it. And so, um, and so that's how I kind of feel about, uh, the radio show, uh, the golf on Long Island is fascinating. I remember when I was learning to play and I've always been, um, I've never been in a position where I could play a lot with my friends um, in the sense that, the, that most of my friends that I grew up with had jobs that didn't really um, allow them to have that kind of the flexibility in their schedules to play golf where I have a little more flexibility than the traditional nine to five golfers. So um, but I've always had that and that's always been the case. And so, uh, playing golf on Long Island is, is just so interesting because it's obviously such a, uh, like, as you said, just the, the Island itself is rich in culture. Forget about mm. necessarily the golf culture, but the, the Island itself is rich in culture. So I remember playing with, um, you know, going in as a single, I played a lot as a single learning the game of golf and I would be. Uh, I would play from, you know, like I said, like guys who worked in delis, guys who worked in construction, World War II veterans that flew planes and, you know, during World War II air, you know, pilots that flew uh, during World War II. Uh, You get the, you know, lawyers and and just Mm -hmm. a a wide range of um, that. I imagine you probably get in the UK, you know, in in, uh, when you play, you're just able to do it on more, um, I think, on more. storied grounds or hollowed grounds that we get to do it on because as you uh mentioned in the opener the majority of our famous golf courses are the more uh, with the exception of of beth page and even yeah, maybe yeah. eisenhower to some degree because i'm not sure your listeners will remember but the eisenhower park had the eisenhower red courses where they played the champions tour uh, uh a couple of times and meadowbrook country club is where um where i got to see arnold palmer uh, play uh, for the first time, um, when it was the Northville, um, uh, uh, event there. Uh, so they had the, uh, before it moved to Eisenhower. Uh, so, you know, but the majority of our, even those golf courses, uh, Eisenhower and Beth Page are private, obviously everything else, including the Meadowbrook were, are private. So, um, and, and so, uh, but there is a, tr- there is a rich 
um, history of public golf on Long Island um, mm-hmm. that I think, I mean, one of the, just to, if I can go on a tangent just really quickly, of uh, one of the most interesting things I think is uh, Lido Beach, which unfortunately is is not even a shell of it, what it once was, but there's a guy online um, that's on the Golf Club Atlas uh, website, which is a golf course architecture kind of um, uh, kind of like a niche website that people go and sort of get their golf course architecture fix, if you will. Um, but there's a guy recreating the original Lido, uh, CB, CB McDonald, um, uh, Lido beach golf club, uh, layout for like a video game. And people forget about like things like that on that happened on long Island. I mean, people forget about, um, Sarazen winning on long Island and, you know, even Bobby Jones winning on Long Island. But um, so there's a, a rich, a, tri- a, a really rich history of golf on Long Island. But the, the, the public golf in itself has, I think, always been an appendage of that, if you will, um, to the in the sense that the public golfers have always enjoyed uh, the game of golf. How about that? I, I, yeah, I think that's a wonderful encapsulation of it. And um, I think you're right there about the culture is so rich. And I think um, it is something that, to some extent, I think people can relate to here. But I think it goes beyond that. You know, my perception of Long Island and New York generally is of, of, of a very kind of unique, as I say, just, uh, again, a nation within a country. You know, it is a very unique city. And uh, there's so many levels within that as well. And I'm sure the golf kind of correlates along with those. So if anybody listening to this, you know, if you're going to New York in future, or even if you actually fancy going to attend perhaps uh, maybe even the Ryder Cup in six years' time or book a trip to the PGA in May, you know, there's plenty of public golf courses in the area to go and play. And you might hitch up as a single and you might bump into someone like Anthony and play around a golf with them. And as you can see, kind of that local culture, local insight there, the local candor. You know, there's an awful lot to enjoy about that, and I think you're right there. You know, it's it's you, the social element of golf is is such an important part of it, and we kind of lose track of that when, like you say, we, we get so preoccupied within the media and so on with the PGA Tour or the US Open or the majors or whatever else. But we kind of forget that golf in the end isn't about you know Roy McIlroy or Tiger Woods. It's about every guy in the street, you know, every man. And uh, that's what golf speaks to. And I think the the public golf courses in Long Island are, are pretty perfectly placed to kind of be a example of that and again Beth Page no finer place than that in terms of that kind of almost democratic way of golf and um, and I think that's something we kind of forget about and it's such an that's the lifeblood of the game and um, when you see well, that there sorry on you go Anthony yeah no I was going to say no you're absolutely right and that's and that's a good way to put it I mean the amateur is the lifeblood of, of the game and, and it is the game really and yeah. and what was so disheartening about the um the uh the the long the the long putter the you know the banning of the anchor like i get i get the traditionalists or the purists but you know when people make rules that you know um it just showed that there there's a there's a, a certain level of disconnect between the people who are in charge of things with the people that su- really truly support the game i mean mm-hmm. the game itself i mean um, and, and when they banned the long putter, uh, I just felt like that was symbolic in the sense that, um, there's really, that was, you know, the, I'm not saying it was, the 
I, I just felt like it was the poster child. Let's just put it that way for for the disconnect between those who run the game and those who really play the game and those who really support the game. Um, that the USGA and you know I'm not. This is not. I'm not on here the bastard USGA. I'm just saying that I just felt like that was something that just proved how out of touch they can be in certain cases. I mean, there were people who love, who want to just enjoy the game. And I just think it was, um, I, I think that move was sort of symbolic of um, that sort of what, the divorce between those who run the game and those who play the game. Because it's you and I who really play the game that support mm-hmm. the game. It's not the like you said the Royal Mac- Rory McIlroys and the Phil Mickelsons and all those guys. Um, those that's the that's the business of golf. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a tremendous distinction between the business of golf and the game of golf. We are the game of golf, and and when you start legislating things that alienate the people who play the game of golf on a you know on a regular basis, um, I just feel like uh, you, that's where they kind of cross the line. Yeah, it's a really interesting point, and I think it's something that we might see more of in future when it comes to the whole roll the ball the ball back discussion, which seems to be kind yeah. of moving. The wheels seem to be turning within the the confines of the RNA and USG about that. And I think you're right there, and yeah. that we do kind of we're, we're so preoccupied about what the guys on tour are doing, when in reality that's not point not one percent of golfers right there and yet that seems to be the whole narrative and that seems to be the whole discussion about that and we're forgetting about the the millions of golfers worldwide who really are the game and we're making decisions at the highest level for a tiny of course a very important fragment of the population but a tiny fragment of the population at the top and forgetting about everybody else and it's a it's an interesting kind of discussion and actually um you, you bring it up, and I wish we had another podcast to try and talk about this one. So perhaps I'll have to get you back on and talk about that because that is a really good topic right there. And I think you're right there in terms of the the long putter and the anchoring and so on. That was a. But it seems that as time moves on, it seems an increasingly strange move that one, and uh, an unnecess- yeah. a completely unnecessary well, one. Well, it just good to bring our conversation full circle. It all it goes back to what I was talking about: the idea of why people love playing at Beth Page and the whole objection to bifurcation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the intimacy of our game, part of it is, and especially, let's say, at, at Beth Page Black, is predicated on the fact that we're in those same spots doing the same things, playing with the same equipment, so to speak, even though it's really not, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, and so, and, and it's sort of, they're at odds with each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so these, and that's, and that's part of, that's part of the problem. And, and, and so, um, you know, the game is becoming, um, the game is changing so much that, um, we're just sort of, like I said, we're, we're coming down to a road and I don't necessarily think the rolling back of the ball is sort of in the same, um, necessarily the same, um, boat as, mm-hmm. uh, as the, as the long putter, because I feel like there's a lot of misinformation. I don't think. I think if they rolled back the ball for the pros, I don't even think you and I would even notice the difference. If you know what I mean, yeah. because I think the people that are taking advantage of the technology and the balls are only the one percent that are able to take advantage. Yeah. And you and I would still be hitting the ball the same length as we probably would be mm-hmm. if there were no change in the ball. Right? Yeah. You know. So anyway, so that's like you said, it's a whole nother uh, discussion. But um, and and so 
we can have that conversation another time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will do. Yes, uh, part two of the Anthony Scorcher podcast and goal shit. Yes, we'll, <laughs> we'll have that one. But I think yeah, it's a good point. And uh, again, it's something that I'm kind of mindful of living here in St Andrews, obviously. Uh, again, which is technically a public golf course and it's a public facility, and with, with such a great history to it. And you do, you do walk in the footsteps of the great players in the past who have been there. And you do one. You do think about perhaps there more than anywhere else about the progression of the game from where it started to where it is now, and the, the kind of the, the debates around that seem to revolve around that golf course because it represents the history and also the present and the future. So yeah, I think it's a, a fascinating topic, and there's certainly a lot of uh, weight there. But to bring the discussion all the way around back to the U.S. Open to finish off to keep get, get us back onto the main topic, obviously for this week, you've mentioned them. You know, I've used examples of golfers during the podcast so far. I've mentioned Rory McIlroy. I've mentioned Tiger Woods and guys like that. But you have consistently brought up Phil Mickelson, and I think there's a reason for that. So <laughs> Phil's obviously you know, been I, – I note these things, Anthony, during the podcast. I've listened to everything you say. Right? <laughs> I listen to every word intently. So, yes, Phil Mickelson, you know, a six-time runner-up, as we know, in the U.S. Open. Here he is coming back. He's going to turn 48 years of age on the Saturday of this year's championship. He won, of course, the World Golf Championship in Mexico earlier in the year. He seems to be playing well. His fashion maybe not so good, but still, he's still playing some very good golf. Probably the best he's played for several years. You know, obviously, he's back in New York where the people love him. Could it happen, Anthony, this week? Could this be the week? Come on, be a dreamer. Is this going to be the week that Phil Mickelson completes the Grand Slam? Come on. Uh, Well, it would be... um... Listen, I, I think if Hollywood was writing the script, I think it won't rain. The wind will be up and Phil Mick- the USGA will get everything perfect and Phil Mickelson would win. That would yeah. be that would be the, the, the storybook, um, the Disney World, the Hollywood <laughs> script. Um, you know, that, that 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 nothing would make me more happy. I mean, I I think um, listen, there I don't know how it was born. I don't. I've I've walked I've walked Beth Page with Karen Krause of the New York Times, who was asking me, "Why do we love Phil? Mich- Why does New York love <laughs> Phil Mickelson so much?" And and listen, I like the guy because he's a little bit of a, a nut job, and he's yeah. a lefty, and I'm a lefty. So, <laughs> um, so, um, but uh, they just do. I don't know what the genesis of it was. I don't know what you know what it is. Maybe it's just because. Um, He's um, he seems authentic, even though everybody seems to call him a phony uh, or a lot of people. The people that don't like him kind of caught up, think he's fraudulent. I don't necessarily see it. I've I, listen. I've been, uh, you know, when he's been at Beth Page, I, I've I've followed him every time. And having you know, media access gives me a little more uh, opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. And I always make sure that no matter what, whether it was at the Northern Trust, whether it was at, uh, you know, um, Beth Page or Glenn, you know, wherever it is, I always follow him around for a round of golf. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure I'll be able to do that at Shinnecock, um, but I, I always try to make a point to do it. And when he did a practice round at Beth Page, um, uh, it, it was um, uh, the year that his wife was, um, that it was sort of just came out that his wife uh, had just, you know, was recovering from, yeah. from, um, from breast cancer and and he had just um 
uh, and I think he won. It may be just won at, at the Masters that year. I'm not. I'm not sure of the timing now. It sort of eludes me as I get older in my age. But <laughs> um, but he he, I I watched him. We were at the ninth hole, which is obviously it's a links uh, setup at Bethpage, so it's not at the clubhouse. It's at the far end, and you have to get a shuttle. And I waited at the shuttle and watched him for literally an hour and a half. Mm-hmm sign autographs i mean and talking to kids and thank you know saying thank you and and there was there happened to be a couple people who needed stuff for fundraisers and he was talking to them about um his wife and the fundraiser and all this stuff and like you know i don't care who if you're i don't care if you're the best actor in the world it takes if he is the act if he is an actor he's the best actor in the world but i mean to it's hard to fake it for that long um you know when you're watching all those sort of um you know, little intimate moments with fans. It, I just mm-hmm. find it hard to, to, to do it. So anyway, I, 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 you know, it's Phil and I tend to ramble on about Phil, but uh, I, they do, that would be the storybook ending. But I, I also, I, I'm really starting to, for some odd reason, starting to like Rory McIlroy. I don't know oh. if it's the way, the, um, I don't know if it's the way my sense of the golf course when I played it, um, the weather showing up. I, I don't know. I, mm. I just, I, I have a feeling about Rory McIlroy and I have a feeling about Ricky Fowler. Those mm. two guys sort of, um, are, are sort of in my gut, um, uh, that I, that I like the, they, I, I'm actually, believe it or not, my gut says nothing about Phil Milkison just from watching his round of golf today at, uh, in Memphis. He's mm. got, he's got, unless, unless New York can help him get his mojo back, he just sort of, his body language is down. Um, his game is off, um, but more importantly, his body language is, is more telling than anything else. Uh, he's got that sort of slumped shoulder look going. So, um, but I don't know. I got a funny feeling about Ricky Fowler. He was the first guy that sort of came up, um, in my, in my gut, uh, when I was, I know he hasn't had the best, uh, you know, um, outings yet you know this year he hasn't shown total form yeah. uh, but i don't know i got a i got a funny feeling about him and you mentioned ricky so you heard me there first, and, all right yeah and you mentioned ricky further and um i did read today that he is actually now engaged to be married so yes. there you go so, so in terms of the good yeah. vibes the positivity that comes from that you know, I always yeah. think you know, if you're if you're a golf better, always look for the guys who have just had kids or just get married. They seem to do very well for some reason. So, yeah. Ricky yeah. engaged. It could be that again. That could be a fairy tale story within itself. And your rookie has all the tools to succeed in a major. And uh, it's about time he actually won one of these things because you know he is again. You mentioned you mentioned Phil Mickelson in terms of his popularity with fans. You know, Ricky is one of those guys who seems to have been able to reach a certain demographic within golf in terms of the fan base, and that's a very exciting thing. And to have that persona and that profile backed up with a major wedding would be just fantastic for the game. It would kind of be the antithesis of Patrick Reed winning the Masters, where a great golfer... <laughs> perhaps not got the same affiliation with the people i guess you give it it's fair to say rightly or wrongly but uh, ricky certainly has that as of course does yep. and in terms of rory a guy who we seem to bash rory all the time for some reason and maybe it's just the fact that we're here in the uk and he's one of our guys and we're always very critical of him we, we expect so much of him but you know he's yep. he, he still had a 
a season so far that most golfers can only dream of. He's, you know, he's won the Arnold Palmer. He's been contending yeah. most weeks. He had a bad round at the Masters, a bad final day or a bad weekend at Wentworth, but he's still knocking on those doors and we all know how good he can be. And really, it's about time that he actually showed us how good he can be over four rounds at a US Open. We remember what he did, of course, seven years ago when he won at Congressional. You know, he's obviously, he's won this championship before. He's proven he can do it and he can dominate it. And, uh, you know, who knows, that could happen again. But, yeah, so many compelling storylines come into this US Open where so many of the top guys, you know, obviously Tiger's still there, thereabouts. Jordan Spieth hasn't quite hit the heights this year so far, but he's still there. Obviously had that amazing run at Augusta, but hasn't really done much since then. Jason Day back to form. Dustin Johnson's there. Justin Thomas, new world number one. And, of course, Justin Rowe is my kind of outside pick, or not an outside pick, but one of my favourites for it. Obviously a guy in, in fantastic form. So, so many of the great players are coming into this US Open in, uh, in top form or threatening to be at top form. So it has all yeah. the potential. So, Anthony, I'm looking... Well, it sort of has that same feeling we had going into the Open is that we had going into the Masters. I know, I, I mean, was about to say that as well. Uh, so maybe this time we're going to get the ending we actually want, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Or, well, it's bound to happen sooner or later. Or, 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 so look forward to uh, Webb Simpson winning the U.S. Open for a second time this week. So <laughs> nothing, exactly, nothing again. You know, if we nothing per- it, we're like, no. if we say it, you no, know, you can you can might as well just if we mention the name, you could just scratch him off the list. <laughs> yes, indeed. So nothing personal against Webb. No, no nothing at all. You know, good player, no, no. You know, good solid guy, and all that. But no, 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 it's just that. For the headline writers, he's not the guy you want to win, I'm afraid. No, no offense. Yeah. He, he had his day in the sun. He won the Players' Championship. It's not a major anyway, so who cares? But you know, this is a major, though. This is US Open, and at Shinnecock Hills, it's going to be fantastic. So, Anthony, we have, as I kind of thought was going to happen, we have went on and on and on and on, but which I'm glad to do so because I had very high expectations about your appearance on the podcast. And you know what? A little bit like Shinnecock and you – you have surpassed every one of them. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast, the Golf Shake Podcast, bringing us your kind of insight and knowledge of golf on Long Island and obviously Shinnecock Hills, the US Open, previous US Opens, and of course, much to look forward to in the future as well. So, Anthony, I have to say, for your for a rare appearance actually being a guest on a, a podcast or a radio show, I think you were very good. So how did it feel to be a guest for a change? <laughs> well, it was, I'm glad it's over. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm kidding. No, you know, I, I, I it is uh, always interesting to be on the other side, but I think um, as all great hosts do, such as yourself, I think when um, when you make it a conversation like two guys at a bar, I think that's really what it what it becomes, and then it becomes a lot more easier. You see, listeners, he's he he knows what to say to keep me happy. That's uh, I, was, I, was, I wasn't angling for the compliment, but. I got it anyway, and that's the kind of guy that he is. So, Anthony Scorsia, thank you for coming on to the Golf Chic Podcast. You listen to Anthony's radio show throughout the summer season on WGBB Network in Long Island, but also on the podcast, which you can actually reach through Anthony's Twitter page, which is at Scorsia on par, S-C-O-R-C-I-A on par. That's Anthony's Twitter handle, and you can reach him there and get his podcast and also hear about all the great guests he has on the show week in, week out, and get a little bit of insight behind a golf within Long Island, which is kind of, as I say, a country within another country almost, and it's a, a, also a good lesson. And it brings, I think... What you see also is obviously there's a great difference and you, you, you get cultural insights, but also you realise just how similar the experience for golfers of Inland Island is 
uh, is replicated back here as well. You know, golfers are it's a kind of a universal language, and I think Anthony's radio show speaks to that. So, again, Anthony, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for coming to the podcast, and everybody, thank you for listening. Take care. Thank you. And that was Anthony Scorcher, host of the On Par Golf Show on Long Island. We thank him for his time and immense knowledge. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you're looking for more US Open coverage this week, don't forget to check out golfshake.com for the latest previews, features and news. And don't forget, if you're playing this week yourself, make sure you record and track your stats and rounds on the Golf Shake score tracker. We want you to play more and to play better. Until next time, thank you for listening.